Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Cool fact: A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. A word of warning: This podcast contains discussions that some listeners may find distressing or triggering. Please use your discretion. Hello and welcome to Reclaim Me. My name is Madeline Heather and today I am joined by the absolutely incredible Priyana. <laughs> welcome. <Yeah. laughs> Thank you, Maddie. <laughs> and the incredible Maddie too. So. <laughs> I'm so excited to have you on and I came across you because you are the founder of Voices Beyond Assault. You were many, many things among and you've organized so many things for survivors and that's how I've come across your profile online. Do you mind telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, um, born and raised in Seattle, Washington um, to a single mother. Um, dad was around in his own ways, um, you know, um, and then when I was four, he kind of completely drifted apart. Um, but the beauty of, um, women sometimes is that, or not sometimes all the time, but the beauty of women is my mom allowed me to love him for who he was and what he was going through. Um, he had a bit of a drug problem, you know, that was tough, uh, you know, not having a father, but it was also rewarding because my mom was able to play, you know, even more efficient in my life. Um, and then, you know, my aunt who was like a second mom, um, my cousins, who I call my brothers and sisters because we were that close. So I grew up, my grow up in Seattle was great. You know, um, you know, I went to Wisconsin to visit my grandmothers, my grandmother, my grandfather, and my plethora of cousins. Cause my grandmother has 16 kids. So oh I, I know, like, I'm like, <laughs> who does that? <laughs> You know, but she had 16 kids. So I had tons of cousins and stuff. So I used to go to Wisconsin um, and visit them on holidays. And um, that was my first bout of uh, being affected with sexual trauma. You know, um, my uncle was pedophile. And um, so I experienced that growing up and not really understanding what that was or not really having any gauge of... Um, the wrongness of it, you know? Um, so I lived without even talking about it. It was always a secret and, um, yeah. And then, you know, I'll go back to Seattle and we'll do it again. And then, you know, high school, great friends, you know, um, and then, yeah, I went, decided I wanted to go to college. I was like, out of all of the grandkids, you know, that my family had, um, I was like one of the few that went, to, went, you know, went to college. So I wanted to just show my little cousins that, you know, there's more to life than whatever. And um, so I went to Clark Atlanta University in Atlanta, Georgia. I left Seattle, went to a whole totally different place in the world. Um, yes. <laughs> what a yeah. change of scenery. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So it's such, it was such a difference, you know. And then I went to a historically black college, like a HBCU. So to be around nothing but people of my kind, you know, was different too, because I'm from Seattle. So it was like a, you know, everybody, it's the melting pot of people. Um, so just to be in that was, it was great because I learned a lot of history and there's a lot of culture and things like that, but it was a different experience, but it was great. And um, yeah, so I, I mean, I grew up feeling like life was um, like a box of chocolates, you know, I always say that I'm like, you never know what you're going to get, but it always felt good, you know, and um, I always just wanted to 
to be good and be great at things. And um, yeah, college, that's when my life changed. <laughs> In college, my uh, second year uh, is when my rape and everything happened. But um, up until then, life was like a box of chocolates. I thought that I was doing the best thing and I knew everything about life and I knew how great people were and Skittles falling out the sky. <laughs> <laughs> I really was that girl. Like, you know, I just thought everybody was so great and people were, you know, we should be able to be vulnerable and happy and, you know, do all these great things. And then, you know, uh, life changed, but for a greater cause, because we got Brianna 2.0. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, sometimes the the version of us that we build for ourselves in post-traumatic growth is a completely new person. But would you mind telling us a little bit about what happened when you were at college in that second year? Yeah, um, um, it was March 31st. Um, my friend called me and she was like, oh my God, you know, Brianna, let's go out. And I had just dyed my hair um, from blonde to black. So it was green. I had like green streaks in my hair. And when she called, I was like so fresh. I was like, Camila, I'm not going anywhere. My hair, <laughs> like I'm not going anywhere. But she just transferred from Clark Atlanta to Georgia State. So I haven't seen her like in a few months. She was like, come out, you know, I haven't seen you in a long time. So whatever, I got dressed despite really not wanting to go. I got dressed. I put on my hoodie. I put on my Timberland boots, my jeans. And we went out. I went out and I met them. And they were all, you know, at this place called Coyote Ugly uh, in Buckhead, Atlanta. So people were dancing. It's like like the movie. Like, you know, people dancing on the thing. And it was yeah. just a really good time. Um, and at the time, you know, I didn't drink. I didn't do anything. But my friends were a little tipsy and having a good time we were all still having a good time and then there was me and this guy named jason who didn't drink at the time and um we were like let's go get something to eat after this you know and he was like okay so he went to take camila and um the other girls to their car um and i was like i have to move my car closer to the place we were gonna go eat at um just california pizza kitchen and um so i went to move my car and you know how you parallel park your car and you kind of bump into the car behind you. Um, that happened. And the guys get out and they're like, oh my God, he just hit my car. Nothing was wrong with their car. Nothing was wrong with his car. And then I didn't realize there was, there was a few guys on standing in the car that was with him, but he was the only one who approached me. And uh, going off, like, give me some money. And I'm like, I'm in college. I don't have any money. <laughs> like I'm broke. Like I don't have anything, but I do have insurance, you know, and I'm, trying to gauge where his energy because it was it was heavy you know and I'm like I didn't understand like the anger that he had when he's you know talking about me hitting his car and all that but fast forward um, he kept talking kept talking and he was asking me for money didn't have the money to give him and um a guy comes across the street yeah he was being just getting a bit more aggressive as he was talking like I don't have any money and then I at this point I had my my phone in my car still my purse in my car so I'm just kind of like you know, obviously looking like what's, you know, what's happening? What can I do at this point? And then a guy comes across the street and um, helps me. And he's like calming down the situation. Like, why are you in our face? And, you know, I'm telling him like I hit his car, but he wants me to give him money. I don't have money, but I have insurance. And like, maybe, you know, maybe we can do this another time. Cause I think there is a lapse of when you can report an accident. Um, and he was like, yeah, like, you know, uh, calming the guy down. Um, we end up writing a letter and I was like, we can meet or talk the following day, you know, to talk about whatever was wrong with his car, quote unquote, because there was nothing wrong with his car. Um, and the guy who was helping me was just like, you know, we should, um, you should move your car. Like, you shouldn't park here because what if, you know, when you come back from eating, he's here and blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, you're right. That makes sense. And um, he showed me where I can park, which is a parking, parking lot that was like within the block. You know, um, and I went to go park my car and open my door and he started strangling me. And it was the person that was helping me. So um, I don't know if they knew each other. I don't know really what that whole situation was. Even Sometimes when I still think back, I'm like, God, did they know each other? Was this something that was, I didn't see him, you know, being the other guys that he was with or he was watching me. I don't know. Um, but he started strangling me and um, so I was unconscious. And when I woke up, I was in my passenger seat, but naked. He was driving my car. Um, so obviously the first rape is, you know, I don't remember. Um, but he raped me throughout, you know, he kidnapped me and raped me for 
some hours. And then he eventually uh, dropped himself off at the Greyhound station. And uh, it was the next day. And uh, it was about like 8, about 8, about 8.30 in the morning. And I was actually staying with my girlfriend at Spelman. And because our dorms were all messed up, they were doing something with our dorms and they were trying to replace us in another dorm. But I just stayed with my girlfriend at Spelman because Spelman and HBCUs, it's like Clark Atlanta, Spelman, Morehouse. Um, they're all like within the same vicinity. So um, I was like, it's 830. And like when you dropped yourself off, it was very much like what just happened. Like, I don't think I even, um, to put it in words, like I was so confused. <laughs> I was like, you know, like I don't, it was just, you know, like, I don't know. Um, I don't even know how to explain it, you know? And it's crazy that I'm like really stuck in my words right now because I'm just thinking about how I felt after, because I'm like, what am I, what do I do now? You know? Um, cause I looked at myself, my face was like this big, my eyes were full of blood because from the choking and asphyxiation, um, I didn't look like myself. And I'm like, how do I go and tell someone that this happened because this is what you see in movies. This is what, you know, you never think will happen. It's very, you know, very TV like, you know? Um, And then I had to go to my friends, back to my friend's dorm. So I kind of sat around in the car and was whatever I was doing, trying to gather myself or put myself together and to look whatever. Um, Cause I don't know what I was doing. I was, it was really one of those, um, I don't know what to do moments. And Kim had class um, within that time. So I was like, if I get there, I can just go and take a shower, you know, and act like, and I was like creating stories in my head of what happened. Like, what can I tell people happened? I got beat up. Um, You know, I was in a car accident, you know, like all the things that I can say versus what actually happened. Because I'm like, who's going to believe, who's going to believe that, you know? Um, But then I get to the dorm and as soon as I'm opening the door, uh, Kim's coming out. And she just looks at me and she was like, Brianna, what happened to you? And I was like, I just need to get in the shower. I just need to get in the shower. And I just kept saying, I need to get in the shower. And she was like, what happened? What happened? And I was like, I just need to get in the shower. And then she literally, I don't know what clicked in her. Um, but she was like, no, we're going to the hospital. And um, then I told her, I was like, yeah, I was raped. Like, I don't know, you know, I don't know what happened. I was raped and like, he kept me and, you know, I didn't even know the word kidnapping at the moment. That's how gone I was. And we went to the hospital. We did, you know, the rape kid and the detectives came and that was a whole another nightmare <laughs> as well, you know, but, you know, it was, it was a blessing that she was there because if she wasn't there, I probably would have never said anything, you know, I would have tried to figure out some alternative um, versus what was reality Um, because I just was so confused and so baffled by what happened to me. It's like, you know, someone tried to kill me. Then they raped me over and over again. And they kept me for a long time. It's just like, you know, it's really hard to, to rationalize in your mind. um, Those moment, you know? So yeah, we went to the hospital, we did the rape kit. And the one thing I asked her not to do was call my mom because I didn't want my mom to know either. Um, but of course, the first person she called was my mom. Um, my mom was on the first plane smoking to Atlanta. And, um, and you know, what, one thing that I can say that was pretty powerful is just having that support, you know, and people that seen you, believed you, and wanted to be there for you in any way, in any capacity if they could because it was a very trying time, you know? Um, and then, you know, talking to the detectives and it was just so many of them and like the constant repeating the story over and over again, right after it happened. Um, and, you know, some, sometimes you forget little to say parts and then you say parts and it was like, oh, you didn't tell the other detective that. Um, because, you know, fucking still in shock. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> you know, so... Um, that was that. And my mom stayed with me um, for about a, a few weeks until I kind of healed my, at least my physical healed. Um, and of course, she wanted me to go back to Seattle, but I wanted to finish school. You know, I'm like, this is our finals, you know, um, like I don't want to leave and then have to transfer. And then I, I definitely didn't want to go back home. You know what I mean? I'm like, I made a statement to actually leave Seattle, you know, and I want to keep it that way. <laughs> you know, I'm not trying to go back home. So I tucked it out and, um, 
I went back to school, did my finals, and, you know, the school knew about what happened. So instead of it being like, oh, my God, what do you need? Do you need any therapy? Like, what type of things do you need? We'll just give you whatever grade you have now. And then, like, just let's not even talk about what happened. We'll just give you whatever grade you have now. And so that went seamlessly easy. Um, But then there's just so much other work that needed to be done, you know, because I was just trying to finish in that summer. I stayed in Atlanta, but I ended up moving into, like, a condo that I was on the 15th floor. It was like, you had to buzz in, you know, you had to have the key cards to get in all the buildings. Like, you know, it was like, if someone wants to get me, they have to come find me. You know, there's going to be multiple people that will see them. They're going to be on camera. So I wanted to be in the safest building in town. Um, I did that. And, you know, um, I just somehow figure life out in the process. But of course, during that process, there was so many, um, you know, things I started doing, I started drinking because, you know, like all the times when I wasn't drinking, everybody that was drinking around me was happy. And I was like, oh, maybe this will make me happy, you know? Um, so I became that girl, you know, and then, you know, pushing a lot of my friends away because I just felt like they never understood my ups, my highs and my lows. Like, you know, I'll be happy as hell one day. And the next day I'm like, all right, you know, like those type of things. And that's just who I was. And in that interim, I met so many people that experienced what I experienced, you know, because I would be openly like, where, where were you? Oh, I was raped. And, you know, people are like, what? And then all of a sudden they'd be like, oh my God, that happened to me too. And I, it was, it was such a jarring experience to meet so many people that experienced that, that I've been friend with, friends with for forever and you could never read it on them. You know, you just would never know. And it's, you know, like not, you can never read a book by its cover. You never understand what a book, what the narrative of the book is by looking at the cover. And it's like humans. And um, so what I started doing too is like those survivor people. So once a week or every other week, we would, I would create nights. We would have dinner nights. We would have champagne nights. We will go bowling together and we'll just check on each other you know, to see what we needed and how we're feeling. And every week somebody's here, you know, the other person's here and then it's reversed. Everybody's like, I'm sad today. I'm ha-, you know, I, I feel good, you know, but I'm fucking angry right now. And, you know, we used to just really take time to just see what we needed with each other. And I felt like that was something that was very much a vacancy in the places that I was referred to um, after my rape. It's like, go to this therapist, go talk to this lady. Um, maybe you should take some pills, you know, it's like, I don't want to do none of that. <laughs> like, you know, cause when I went to therapists, I always felt like, uh, it's just, I was felt victimized again. It was like constantly talking about the same thing. And, or if I was having a bad day, it's like, Oh, it's because of the rape. It had nothing to do with the rape. I'm just having a bad fucking day, you know? Um, so that wasn't working for me, but I know, you know, I'm not shaming therapy at all. Um, it's just that you have to find your, your therapist and, yeah. and the person for you. Um, yeah. So, you know, doing those, those events and just having those moments with people who got it or got me, you know, at the time that I was trying to figure out how to heal or what healing looked like, or even, I don't even know if I even knew what healing meant, you know, at the time, but those times that we were together, I felt a sense of like, <sighs> You know, I can like be myself and express myself. Um, and I wanted to create that community. <laughs> you know, I really wanted to create like a survivorship of, of people who just come together and empower each other, um, uplift each other, um, cry with each other, you know, scream with each other, you know, whatever was needed in those moments of um, the process of healing is uh, you need each other, you know, and that, and that, you know, you can laugh together, you can cry together, you can walk and scream and yell and let vent all the things that you need. Um, I just really wanted to create that community because um, I felt like I didn't, I didn't really have it. I had to create, I had to create my own community, you know, to, to feel safe, you know, and to feel heard and believed and understood, even though I had a lot of support, you know, my mom was always there, (laughs) you know, my friends were always there, but there was things that I, I always felt like misery loves company. So whenever I talk to them, I'm just like, oh, I'm just bringing them down. Like, I feel like I'm traumatizing them with what I experienced, even though I wasn't, but that's how I felt. 
So, you know, just being able to lean on my survivor sisters and brothers, it just felt, it felt easier and better for me. So to create that community is where BBA came from, <laughs> Voices Beyond Assault, you know. That's so amazing. And you're so right as well, but it's so, there's something so powerful in somebody just in, inherently getting it. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's why these survivor support networks are so important where you've just got people that fucking get it to some degree that aren't having that moment where they've got, they've got this pity look at you all of the time or anything, you know, yes, it is jarring to hear some things that have happened, but yeah. to have somebody look at you with empathy, not with pity is such a difference. And it changes the way that you feel about yourself because, you know, I have experienced that so often as well, where you say anything. And then the moment that you say something, you've just got people in stunned silence, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. people looking yeah. at you like you poor, poor kicked little dog on the ground that needs yeah. to be pitied. And that's not what you are. Yeah, no, it's not at all. And, you know, I, I there was a moment um, that kind of, really changed my life was you know my mom we became even closer like we've always been close but we became like <laughs> you know super close after the rape she would call me almost 20 times a day where are you are you okay you know which was great and you know um because it's my mom I just didn't want to hurt her have her thinking about things or always worrying but even though that's you know that's the mother's nature and it's, that's who they are they're always going to worry about their babies um I remember her calling me and I was having a moment, you know, I was just having a, just a tough day, you know? And she called me, she was like, how are you? And I was like, I'm good. I'm good. And she was like, bring her wherever you are, sit down. Um, she was like, you're not fucking good. And it's okay to not be good, you know? And it kind of broke me down. Like, and I started crying, you know, and I'm like, she was like, you know, something traumatic happened to you. You know what I mean? There's a piece of you that's been ripped apart, you know? So it's okay to not, to not be good. So how are you? And I started breaking down. I was like, you know, I'm not good. I'm just having a really tough day. I don't know why, you know? And she was like, hug yourself, like have compassion with yourself, you know, in the moments that you're not feeling good. And it really changed, changed my life from there on. Cause you know, when people ask me, I'm okay. I'm like, no, I'm not okay. You know, like I've never said that to anybody ever in my life, you know, and that's not, and do, who really wants to hear that? You know, because when people ask you, how are you? They just want to be like, oh, good. And they're like, okay, good to know. You know, and that's it. But then when you're like, I'm not good. They're like, okay. You know, like, what do you do with that? And then you know who your people are because they're like, okay, what do you need from me? So, you know, and there is very far and few in between. It's really important, like, you know, just in your moments of pain and anger, frustration, all the things that you feel after being violated, it's okay not to be okay, you know, and um, having your people where you can be like, I'm just not having a good day. Like, let's just lay down together. Let's be able, let's write together. Let's go hiking. Let's, you know, let's do something that, that can just relieve me of whatever I'm feeling, you know, and um, that's just important. I mean, support and community is important. And we don't, I don't think we think about that a lot until we have to we have to build it, you know, <laughs> you know, it's like, I really had to build my, my people. And I had to cut a lot of people off because they didn't want to be there for me or they didn't know how to be there for me. And I didn't have the patience for any of it. You know, it's like, I need people here with me, you know, who get it, who understand, who want to support me. Um, even in my nasty moments, you know, because I wasn't, you know, I was up and down. <laughs> I was a mess, you know, um, and being a mess is okay. It's just like, arranging it, you know? <laughs> and yeah. so I figured out a way to, to really manage um, my mess. You know, it's like when I am having a bad day, if I want to sleep all day, I'll fucking sleep all day. You know, if I, you know, want to just not talk or be silent and deal with myself, I'll deal with myself. You know, um, and if I want to talk, I want to talk. It's like, you know, it's just really being compassionate where you are. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive in June. Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Whenever you're there, you know, um, and taking time for those moments because you can't brush over. I'm sad by going out and having a cocktail or getting high or hanging out with people. Because when you wake up, you still feel it. You go to bed still feeling it, you know. So um, it's just being, you know, like if you're frustrated, just sit. I always do this. Like sometimes when I'm frustrated, I just go and I'll close my eyes and then like, it's okay to be frustrated right now, but don't let it last too long. Because it's, you know, it's just also giving so much power to the person who um, violated you as well, you know, because that's where those moments happen is because what someone else did to you. So now you're taking it as as your own and, you know, it's taking your power back when you can have compassion with yourself. And, you know, just like if someone told you like, oh, I'm having a bad day, you're like, oh, you'll hug them, you know, so hug yourself when you're having those days. Absolutely. And it just makes sense, doesn't it? And it's so true that we do say, hey, how are you? Mm. Not good. And you're just like, I was not. <laughs> yeah. I don't, don't want to hear that. What am I supposed to do with that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't ask then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And then, but then you learn your, you learn your people. You know what I mean? You learn who's there for you, who's really going to be like, oh, you're not good. Okay. <sighs> how can I help? You know, and then it's the ones that are like, oh, you're not good. Oh, okay. You know, then you can define your tribe. And it's and it's really um, also setting boundaries for yourself, too, of who you allow in your space. You know, boundaries are extremely important. And that's one thing, like, just throughout my healing journey, I learned so much. And my boundaries are not to, to kick people out of my life, it's to keep them in my life. You know, and, the, you know, it's really just like, this is what makes me happy. This is what I need, what I want. This is what I can give. This is what I can't give. And it's setting those solid boundaries so that way people can stay in your life, you know, and not affect you emotionally in ways. And the ones that don't get the boundaries, you're not in my life. It's just, that's that, <laughs> you know, because um, I think for so long being, Melissa, when I was younger, I didn't have any boundaries for people. You know, I just thought people can kind of, especially when it came to men, so to speak, too, and not having a dad also that comes into play, too. It's like, you know, wanting the attention of guys and all that stuff. And then my, you know, and then getting that, but then also getting more of what you don't want, but then you don't know your boundaries because of what happened to you as a child. And, you know, so it's just, I never had boundaries. Um, and what the rape <laughs> The violent rape did, it, it woke up a sleeping giant in me. You know, it really did. It woke up, you know, um, that little girl that didn't have a voice. And it it empowered me to have a bigger voice. Because it's like, this fucking happened again. 
And then like meeting people like that happened to you, you know, it made me so mad every single time I heard someone's story. I was just like, wow, like what is wrong with people? Like people are really different than I thought they were, (laughs) you know, like there's a lot of bad people. I mean, it's good people and there's bad people, but it definitely woke up that giant in me. Like, wow, this, there has to be something to slow down this this epidemic because it's really not like just something it's not like oh rape is you know the statistics are high no it's an epidemic it's a it's something that's been happening it's not racist it's not homophobic it's not um anti-religion you know religion it's every body in the world is somehow affected by it whether it's them or it's someone that they know or someone that they know that they know someone else it's when it's every three people know somebody that has been affected by rape or sexual yeah. assault. Um, unfortunately, you know, so it's, um, you know, it's just being able to, um, cause we get up, we wake up. I still finish school. I still put makeup on. I still have friendships. I was working, you know, I still was figuring out life within what happened, you know, although this had happened to me, you know, and I I like seeing those faces of people who still do it, you know, they're still doing something, you know, and uh, we're not like little, you know, like you said, where people look at you and they're like, oh, baby, you know, poor baby, like I, that's not who we are. Like we still are, we're very powerful, if not more powerful, because we have overcome something where we still, it's like, I always call myself Brianna 2.0 and maybe 3.0 at this point. <laughs> but, you know, I, I'm not her anymore. I'm not that, that young, vulnerable, you know, open. I am all of that, but it's just 2.0 because I figured out like where my vulnerability lies, what it means. I completely agree. And I think, you know, I always speak about this and I've had so many people ask me questions. So are you glad that it happened to you? Because you know, who you are now, it's made you who you are today. Are and you it's sad. <laughs> what (laughs) it's the worst question but you know I try to answer people who ask me questions and they mean well um obviously please don't ask that question nobody's glad that it happened um but I think the framing of that is changed when you go this is my post-traumatic growth this is me that's done this I've actually been the one that got my ass out of bed I've done the work I've created these boundaries. I've facilitated creating a community. You've done every single bit of that for yourself. And I often think about it like a slingshot effect as well. Like those days where you're really fucking shit, you feel like crap, everything's going wrong. You know, those are the days as well when you know your pocket's going to get caught on the door, everything's going wrong, you're going to drop your coffee, stub your toe. But those are the days when you take a few steps back. But once you get to sit in that moment and work on that and then move forward. You don't go back to where you were. You slingshot yourself way, way further ahead than you were before. Mm-hmm. So it's not linear. Yeah, it is important. I mean, you know, I think that, um, you know, life isn't linear, you know, at all. You know, when you look at the the machine, like it's up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down. That's just, you know, the cycle of life, you know, but then when you're hit with something, with trauma, you know, we all have it. It doesn't necessarily have to be sexual. <laughs> you know, it can be losing a parent at a young age. And then, you know, you have to deal with that. And then it's like, when I, when I always talk about when, um, when I was molested, I, I had no idea what that was. I was so young that I thought I was normal, right? Um, until I realized it wasn't normal. <laughs> and that was like me talking to someone and telling them about, you know, the awkwardness with my uncle, you know, not all details. She was like, hmm? Like, what do you mean? That's not, that didn't happen with my uncles, you know, or that didn't happen with my uncle. Or, and I'm like, oh, okay. Then I shut down, you know, I was yeah. like, I'm never going to tell this story again because obviously it's weird. And then I started really realizing how weird it was. And then, you know, I got to a place where I was like, whatever, he's dead. That's just it, you know, it, forget about it. So I was so excited to go to college. You know, I was like, oh my God, I'm a woman. Like I got over that. I realized what happened to me. I got over that. And then to come to college and be like hit with it again on a, even just on a whole nother level. It was just like, you know, how could I ever be that, that person before, you know? Um, 
I have, you know, now it's like, I have to set boundaries. I have, you know, because it would, I, in my spirit, it will never happen to me again. <laughs> you know, I have too many boundaries and I really am very direct with people now versus how I was before. And, you know, they always say the statistics, like, you know, when you, something's happened to you when you were younger, there's a crazy percentage of you getting, it happened as an adult. And it's because predators can see you, be you, you know, it's like, it's a sickness. It's like a illness. People are like, Oh, you know, um, they're sex offenders. No, they're sick. You know what I mean? They need to be in their own mental institute you know, by themselves around no one, you know, because it's not just letting them out of jail and like, oh, you're a sexual predator, you're on the predator list. Like, that doesn't mean anything. They're always going to find a way to find a victim. It's so important because, you know, what you just said is is true. I think it was an FBI statistic that came out and it was um, you're 70% likely to be reoffended against. And it is so horrific. But what you said just hones in on the point. And some people think that it's innately sexual, rape is sexual, and it not always is. And most of the time it's not. It's driven by power and control. So if somebody can sense a vulnerability in you, you know, like let's say, you know, you've for you as a child, you don't have a father figure in the house. Maybe that means that you might be more malleable to an offender for grooming. We might be a very quiet child or, you know, even as an adult, you know, for him to take you away from where you were, to mm-hmm. get you to drive your car to a separate location that would have given him more power and control I, so that yeah. he could exert that dominance over you. Yeah, it's a it's a isolated, you know, taking you away from what can protect you. You know what I mean? But that's that's predatory stuff, you know, it's stuff yeah. that we would never understand, right? Um, and it's just, you know, I always, um, like when I do the Survivor Connects, you know, with survivors of VBA too, just hearing the stories, many of them had the experience as a child, you know, and then all of a sudden they face it again as an adult. And it's like, how do we, how can we change that narrative? You know, because obviously it's something within us that was taken from us and then we don't have boundaries. We don't understand what those boundaries are, how to set those things for ourselves. So, you know, it's just like, even the things that we have this, um, we have voices too. And we have voices too are for kids. We haven't really tapped into it because it's just, it's tough, you know, it's tough to go there, you know, but, and it's hard to, to like try to go to schools and talk about it because they don't want to talk about it when it happens all the time, you know, within the schools and whatever. Um, I digress on that, but (laughs) you know, it's just, it's just getting to a space where we can at least, um, be heard and have our voice voices heard so hopefully because of the internet um kids here you know and then they're like you know let's start with this happened you know and and you know we did i did this when i lived in cape town south africa i went to the school and um i always volunteer when i was there i always do travel with purpose everywhere i travel i always try to volunteer at an organization or something while i'm there because it just you know, I want to engulf in the culture, but then I'm not, um, I'm not doing that if I'm not also volunteering somewhere, you know, um, it's so important. But when I was in Cape Town, I went to all these schools and I was like, if someone touches you here, 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 oh no, dear, you know, um, let someone know, you know, and if no, someone's touching you there, it's like, if it's not your parent cleaning you or giving you a bath, or if it feels uncomfortable, if you feel, you know, any bit way uncertain or uneasy it's for a reason and the kids that came to me (laughs) to tell me the things that were happening and then to tell the school you know and they're like we can't do anything it's just reinstilling in them that they have to understand where their boundaries are and it and it you know and consent like people don't even know what consent is you know like it seems very simple to say someone has to tell you yes or show you that they want something. Um, For some reason, that's like oblivious to people too. It's like, but they said they didn't want it, but then they were acting like they want it. No, it's like you wanted it. You know, it's different. (laughs) You know, it's it's reciprocal. So it's like, I don't know. I don't know how how we can change it, but I know what we can change um, is being, sharing our stories, empowering others to, to just at least be honest with themselves of what happened so they can start the healing journey. Because I always yep. say healing, healing looks good on you. And it does. <laughs> <laughs> it 
it's such a good statement and it is it's so important that we have these conversations you know after I started this podcast the amount of people who have contacted me and this has really become a resource for survivors who are listening to for the first time people honestly speak about you know their feelings and and what you said before about your response after um, Mm -hmm. your assault when you were just sitting in the car kind of blank you know that is such a normal and okay response to have at that moment in time. Like mm-hmm. you've had so much trauma happen to your body. Your physi- physiological body is just trying to do what it can to yeah. survive yeah. in that moment. And yeah. when we talk about freezing, when we talk about being blank, when we talk about making statements and forgetting things, like mm-hmm. these are all things that are just so important that people hear and listen and know that it's okay and know that it's, it's normal. Normal. And, and it's a natural human response, you know, like normally, you know, not thinking about myself now, I respond to everything, you know, um, and even, I don't know what happened today, even talking about it with you today, because it's been a while that I actually like shared this, my story, um, but to even think about where I was right after that happened, he dropped himself off and, you know, there was so much that happened in between, you know, him having me and raping me and, doing all these things he was having this conversation with me um like he had pulled so this is the part that i didn't stay but when he had me have you know my seat my passenger seat was all the way back and um he put clothes on me that i had like in my my trunk you know how girls are we always have clothes in the trunk (laughs) i did (laughs) um but he put these clothes on like just kind of laid them on me but the seat was all the way back and i couldn't you know um the nurse told me i was in shock because i like i couldn't move you know, it was like nothing that I just was like moving my head and he's smoking cigarettes, the music. It's just a very mind blowing experience. But I remember going down this like little dirt road and there was apartment buildings like in front of us and he parked the car. And um, I was like, like just laying there, like kind of looking at him, looking around and just like in fear, in confusion and like, you know, the inner me was like, open the door, just jump out of the car. But I couldn't move. I couldn't move. And he ended up like unclenching my teeth and pouring beer down my throat. And he was like, wake the fuck up. Like, wake the fuck up. Like, why did you let them do that to you? He's acting like it's a whole totally different person that did this to me. When I remember every core in his face when he was choking me because where he, where he um, strangling me at was, or choking me at was, we were in that uh, little parking lot, but there was a light that was like, it was crazy. The light was like literally beaming on his face. I remember every pore, every freckle. I remember him, you know, and he was like, why'd you let them do that to you? And he pulled the mirror down and he was like, look at you, look at you. They, you know, it was just so much conversation that I don't even want to go into because it, it was just, it was, it was like he was talking to himself, to me. Like, it was just very weird conversation. And then when he flipped the mirror down and I looked at myself, I seen my face. Like, my face was huge. My eyes were bloodshot red. Like, I had scratches all around my neck, you know. And I just remember, Brianna, don't cry. That's all I said. I was like, don't start crying. Don't cry. Because I was just like, what? You know, when I see myself, I didn't even, oof. God, it's just giving me chills even thinking about it. I didn't know what I was saying. I didn't see myself. Yeah. Um, but I was like, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry. Like, and I looked at him and I was like, I don't know what happened. I kept telling him, I don't remember what happened. I don't remember. I don't remember. I had finals. I had finals. And I kept saying that. And he was like, no, you're going to come in the house and shower. So he was trying to take me into another place. And I was like, that's the one thing that I don't, I don't want to be anywhere with you outside of this car, <laughs> you know? And so I was just like, I don't remember what happened. Thank you so much for helping me. And I'm like praising him, you know, like just trying to calm him down. So he's yelling and it was just such a weird, everything was just crazy. But him talking to me and acting like it wasn't him. And then, you know, saying like, you know, you, I helped you. He was acting like he helped me. And, you know, so I just wanted to give him everything that he was giving me so I could get the fuck away from him you know um I was just like I don't remember anything I don't remember anything and then and then he was like oh you don't remember anything you don't fucking remember anything you don't remember anything he's like yeah so I saved you I helped you I saved you and then he comes and 
puts his, forces his thing in my mouth. And he was like, that's for me helping you. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then he ended up driving again um, and ended up dropping himself off, like, by the Greyhound station. It wasn't at the Greyhound station. It was by the Greyhound station. Because um, I remember it because it's not too far from our college campus, too. Yeah. And it was, <laughs> it's just very, uh, how, do you, how do you come from that? You know, um, how can you even rationalize um, that reality? You know, and it's like, you know, anybody, I don't care if you were at a college dorm when, you know, or a college party and someone does it to you. It's like, there's still that moment of, did this just happen? Like, what just happened? How do I define this? Like, who do I tell? It's all of those questions that come to mind. And then you don't want to tell anyone because who's going to believe it? Or why were you here? What, What were you doing? It's like all of those questions that are so not to be asked. You know, it's like, what can I do for you? What do you need from me? How can I help you? Um, those are the only questions you should hear after any trauma. And if you hear Absolutely. anything else, you know, you have, you know, because if you hear anything else, you can really shut down and hold it in. And then that's a whole cancer living inside of you because why? Because you couldn't find that one person that, you know, you could trust or, or vent, you know, share your story with. You know, um, and I think it's a testament to you of your, these are your um, unconscious reactions to trauma that are happening to you in that moment. But in that car, you know, you've saved your own life, I think, in a way, because if he had have taken you, what would have happened? I think about that all the time. And, you know, I'm, I'm really that girl that are into crime stories because I always try to figure out why, what the fuck is wrong with people? (laughs) You know, I watch it because I'm like, how do people think that they can get away with this yeah. and a lot of the stories too that I say once they go to a second area then they never come out yeah you know and I don't know where that came from I really feel like I believe in God deeply my source our source and I really felt my grandfather's presence there like when I Maddie when he was choking me I remember he was like you're gonna die tonight bitch you're gonna die tonight bitch and he's strangling me and I'm just like, my mom, my mom, I'm thinking about my mom. I'm like, my mom could not handle this. Like, I'm about to die, you know? And I kept saying that and then I couldn't fight him anymore. It was, you know, trying to pull his hands off of my throat. Impossible. Out of like literally nowhere, I was peeing on myself. I remember peeing on myself and I remember staring at him um, uh, in the face and like trying, like trying to say to him with my eyes, like, don't do this type of thing, yeah. you know? And I was just thinking about my mom, my mom, and my mom was a nurse. So she always said, like, when people pass, they, they pee and they defecate on themselves. And I remember peeing on myself and I'm like, you know, my mom, my mom, my mom. And I swear, Maddie, my grandfather, I don't know if he came within me or if he came around my hands because I was able to lift, like, it felt like I lift him off of me, but I was able to get some of his hands off of my neck. And I felt like I like breathe in <laughs> the world in my body. And then he got more violent and started choking me again. And, you know, the next thing I know, I was waking up in my passenger seat. But I really think my grandfather was present in that. I really felt like, you know, I like it just wasn't my time. And this is obviously... You know, starting VBA is obviously my purpose. You know, um, I wouldn't want to relive that. I wouldn't be like, oh, that's what I want to have happen to me to get to this place to do this. But here I am, you know, um, and because it happened to me, I'm stronger, uh, more resilient. I, um, I feel a bit more powerful, you know, because I'm able to also empower other people who haven't, you know, been able to even voice what's happened to them. You know, um, and even if you haven't voiced, that's okay too, you know, um, but just be honest with yourself and um, be loving and compassionate with yourself and understand that you are worth fighting for and fighting for yourself. Give, you know, it's taking the power away from the person who thought they, they had you, They had you know, yeah. you've got yeah. the power now. You got the power now. And it's, you know, it's all up to you to get to a place where you want better for you. Versus living in turmoil or living in the pain and the shame and the embarrassment and the hurt and all the other millions of emotions that you could be feeling, you know. 
is taking that time for you and just really um, knowing that you're worth, you know, you're a survivor. Like you were, you were victimized at the time, but once that moment's over, it's survival mode. You know, it's no more victim anymore. It's surviving. So, um, and in that survival healing and loving on yourself and re-loving yourself, relearning yourself and being the 2.0 that you are, um, is within you. It's just finding that, that, that strength to, um, push through and fight more. So couldn't agree more. Well, thank you so much, Brianna, for sharing your story so far. I'm going to conclude this episode now as part one, and we're going to reconnect back next week for part two of this episode, where you can hear the finality of Brianna's story. Thank you so much for listening. This is Reclaim Me signing out. This content may have been distressing or triggering for some listeners. In Australia, for national crisis support, please contact Lifeline on 131114. For more resources, please see the show notes for this episode. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com planning for your next trip Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.